health naturally. And we're going to talk a little bit about red wine um, and perhaps just a little bit first on red wine because we did say we were going well, to talk about What a good way to start the party, Jane. What a good way. <laughs> yes. well, raise your glass. <laughs> raise the glass. I do that frequently, probably too frequently. Look, um, I think it needs to be said that what we're going to say now about red wine is looking at it in the context of the sensible use of red wine. Anyone that interprets what I'm going to say as a, um, a plug for boozing is missing the whole point. We're talking about the way in which around the world, particularly in European countries, particularly Mediterranean countries, wine is seen as a component of one's diet. And as a result of that, some very interesting things have emerged. One of the most important things that has emerged is that wine, particularly red wine, and I emphasise red wine, has been shown to have a significant impact on the incidence of cardiovascular disease and the incidence of certain cancers. And this has been shown statistically and is documented and called up in a book that I've frequently mentioned uh, in, on our program over the years, and that is the book Foods That Fight Cancer by the two Canadian um, specialists, two PhDs, who have spent a lot of time looking at the way in which certain foods and beverages can fight against cancer. The book Foods That Fight Against Cancer by Bellevue and Gingras has a section in it which is very comprehensive and very supportive of seeing red wine as an agent that has quite remarkable properties, and they extol it as a food to be used on a daily basis to build up the possible resistance particularly to cardiovascular disease and particularly to certain cancers, in particular cancer of the bowel. The statistics that they give in the book are very, very significant. For instance, one statement they make, which is very provocative, but I refer sceptics and cynics back to the book that I've just mentioned, they make the statement in the book that a recent synthesis of 13 studies conducted on a total of 21,000 people, moderate wine drinkers were found to have a 30% fewer risk of cardiovascular disease and also a significant risk, less risk of certain cancers. Now, that's in the text. There are other studies that confirm the, the references and the statements and the claims. One of the interesting things is uh, what's called the French paradox, this is quite fascinating. Uh, certain countries, like France and Italy, as well as other European countries, uh, drink red, red wine as part of their daily diet, and very rarely do you see people um, staggering around the streets drunk. But the interesting thing is the French people also enjoy what we would consider to be a very, very um, uh, treacherous diet in as much that they like a lot of uh, creams, uh, they like a lot of pastries, they like a lot of rich foods, they do many of the things that uh, Anglo countries dissent from and are, say, problematical, but yet the incidence, so I'm told, of particularly cardiovascular disease, disease in France is significantly less than what it is in Anglo countries. And the paradox basically is that whereas in Anglo countries, such as Australia and Britain and US, uh, people tend to drink more beer, in France the beverage of choice is wine, and this is thought to explain why mortality, cancer risk, cardiovascular disease is less 
in France than what it is in other countries. That's one of the reasons. I'm not a Frenchman, but that's one of the reasons why, on a daily basis, my dear wife and myself will sit down and have a glass or two, of course, of good Hunter red wine. Belinda, you've rung in from Summerland Point and hay fever. Now, it's not spring, but you're still suffering, are you? Uh, yeah, constantly. <laughs> you, are, you are, as I suspected, a chronic hay fever sufferer. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was every week, but um, both my mother and my daughter mm. and, my, yes. and my sister. And, um, yes. I mean, I, it's shocking with it today. That's how come yes. I've... I've I can, you know, I, I can tell that, Belinda. I can tell that. Can I ask? Can I ask you a question? Um, do you also experience eczema or asthma? No, but chronic allergies yeah. are right through our family. Okay. Yeah, um, okay. The, the only reason I was the only reason I was asking that is that very frequently hay fever, or what is sometimes called, well, what is medically called rhinitis, is associated also with the skin disease, eczema, and also the condition known as asthma, and it has a little bit to do with what's called the atopic uh, constitution of the patient. Now, quite apart from that, however, um, with hay fever um, and chronic recurring hay fever, not just episodic events, um, there's a couple of things that uh, over the many years of my practice I have found useful. Now, let me just say that these things are not... Uh, seen as antihistamines. They work a little bit more subtly than that. Uh, But the end result is a reduction in allergenicity and also a reduction frequently in the symptoms of that allergy, which in your case is the hay fever. There are two things that I've recommended for years and years and years and still do, and very rarely do they let me down in breaking through the chronic recurring characteristic of this disease. Pencil and paper The first thing that is important to take on board is the role of what you've heard me talk about frequently on the program, and that are substances known as bioflavonoids. Now, bioflavonoids, as I have explained on numerous occasions, not just because they're one of my favourite supplements or nutrients, but because of their importance, bioflavonoids, and one of them in particular, one of them in particular called quercetin, I'll spell it for you, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, is a renowned bioflavonoid in eroding or progressively lessening the person's allergenicity. Now, this can be associated with not only hay fever, but urticaria or hives or other allergies. Uh, Quercetin in generally a a mixture of bioflavonoids um, is a useful agent to start with, taken over a period of time. It's always a company, of course, with vitamin C. So bioflavonoids, quercetin with, with vitamin C in a blend of bioflavonoids. Uh, one of those might be called flavor blend, but take that to start with. Now, the second thing uh, that reinforces my emphasis on bioflavonoids in addressing allergenicity is the, the role of a particular bracket of herbs. Interesting uh, what I'm going to say here. One of the most popular Uh, combinations used in Asia, particularly in in places like Japan, um, is a combination that is known in Asia as MBC. Now, that stands for minor bupleurum compound. I know that won't mean much to to many of you listening, but you can Google it up and you'll see uh, that it is a very popular and well-proven and highly regarded herbal medicine way of building up resistance to allergies per se. 
and Minobupurum compound in recent times um, has gone under various other names, and one of the names that uh, that is out there presently, which has the characteristics of Minobupurum compound, is a product called Allergies. Allergies, and it is a Blackmore's product, and it should be available from your good health food stores or pharmacies. Though that preparation uh, incorporates a lot of what is in the Minobupurum compound, which I had a lot to do with years and years and years ago, and those two things put together, I'd be most surprised if they didn't give you some benefit in breaking out of this recurring hay fever that you're experiencing. Bioflavonoids and the use of the Minobupurum compound or allergies, which has the same characteristics. Wow, thank you. Yes. Thank, thanks go, very go to much. your local health food store. You've got some good health food stores down there. And also you have uh, some good pharmacies. And I'm sure they would stock um, what I've mentioned. If you can't stock them, you can get back to the station and we can tell you where you can get them. Thank you very much for your call, Belinda. And Audrey from Largs has rung in and we're moving to arthritis, a slightly different kettle of fish. Hello, Audrey. You're- Hi. Hello, Audrey. Hello, Dan. Um, I've got rheumatoid arthritis. That's nasty, isn't it? Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> um, my foot keeps swelling up and it stops me from walking around a fair bit and mm-hmm. getting up and down. Yes. Uh, it's very what, uncomfortable. What, what has your doctor prescribed for you, Audrey? Um, well, I don't know the name of it, but it's got a side effect for your liver. Oh, you're, on, you're probably on methotextrate. Yeah. That's, anyway. a standard, that's a standard uh, drug that is usually very effective in addressing rheumatoid arthritis. But like, well, I'm very frightened at the moment okay. for taking it because I've got kidney problems as well. <laughs> well, you, to be fair, to be fair to your specialist, yeah. uh, methotextrate is a, a useful drug, particularly when the condition is as painful and as inflamed mm. as yours is, and you would be well monitored uh, by the specialist in as much that you would have regular. Um, yeah. liver function tests, etc. So you need to discuss with him or her your concern. But outside of that, outside of that, you then say, well, look, what is there in, in natural medicine that might be useful in helping to address the problem? Yeah. Now, I'll recommend a few things. Yeah. And um, you can certainly give those a try. And it would be unlikely that they would uh, clash with anything yeah. that your specialist might prescribe. The first, the first thing you need to appreciate is that we, we make many claims for fish oils. Some of them are a little bit over the top, in my opinion, mm-hmm. but one of the most important indications for higher doses of fish oils is rheumatoid arthritis, which you have, which, mm-hmm. which is not to be confused with osteoarthritis. So the, the dosage for using fish oils is between 3 to 9 grams a day, and I have mentioned that on this program very frequently. Uh, I recommend a starting base in most cases around about 6,000 milligrams. Now, don't see them as being an immediate anti-inflammatory agent. They grow on you. They're to be seen more as a nutritional approach, but there's very significant support in the technical literature. 6,000 milligrams, I'd suggest uh, you start with daily, of the fish oils, which can be purchased, of course, these days very economically from any health food store or pharmacy. Yes. Now, the other thing that I would suggest is, and you would have heard me again talk about this on the program, in natural medicine today, 
extracts of turmeric, frequently, frequently the, uh, the active principle known as curcumin, is put forward as a useful agent in addressing some levels of inflammation. Now, those two recommendations are good recommendations. How far they will go in addressing your condition um, is really dependent on the, the level of your condition. But certainly they're two things that I would have no problem in using right. myself or trying. I would suggest you think about that. Righto. Um, I might come down to your surgery one day. Um, well, you, you probably don't need to because those two things would be, uh -huh. red, would be readily available yeah. where you are up there. June has rung in from Merriweather. June, uh, night sweats are a problem, even when it's cold, is it? Oh, yes. But for the past three weeks, I've been doing what Dennis said and having the sage and honey, and fortunately it has stopped. But ha do I keep on drinking this tea of sage and honey, or is this going to cure it? Okay, look, um, in most cases, night sweats... Um, will eventually burn themselves out. Um, but unfortunately, many, many ladies can experience them for quite a significant period of time. I remember years ago consulting a lady from Goulburn in my uh, um, Gosford rooms who was nigh on 70 and was still experiencing um, uh, flushing and prolific perspiration. And as a result of recommending SAGE to her, after spending a couple of weeks on the Central Coast with her daughter, she uh, was able to go back to Goulburn free of those symptoms for the first time for many, many, many years. So uh, what I would say is this. If you're getting a benefit using that simple approach, and when I say simple, for the listeners that have not uh, heard me talk about this before, uh, sage, common red sage, which is available uh, from any uh, pharmacy, supermarket, health food store, is not to be underrated. It is a very, very popular way, particularly in France. We've been mentioning France a lot today, uh, and they have some good things to teach us, not just the, the, the benefits of red wine, but they teach us a lot about herbs. I might just uh, uh, say a little thing here about French herbalism. Probably one of the most renowned uh, herbalists of the 20th century was a Frenchman known as Maurice Messagois, and he was a provincial man who was taught herbalism by his father, and at the end of his life uh, wrote a book entitled Of Men and Plants, which is a remarkable read. That uh, simple herbalist went on to treat all the great names uh, of the Second World War. After the Second World War, he treated Ardenor, he treated Churchill, he treated de Gaulle. All those big names were treated by this simple herbalist who was taught his craft by his father in the provinces. He came to Paris and began to do what he thought was what he should do, only to be arrested for practicing medicine, <laughs> but eventually was able to uh, see the use of European herbs applied to some of those great names who went to see him because of his skills in herbal medicine. And I say that at a time when even in this country I suspect there may be an attempt to limit, to restrict, or in some way interfere with the way in which herbalism has developed and taken off in the last, say, 30 or 40 years. Now get back to sage. Sage is a remedy that is popularly used in Europe, particularly in France, particularly 
for flushing and particularly for perspiration associated with it. Honey also is a useful companion because what it does is tend to buffer uh, the taste of sage. Not everyone likes uh, the taste of sage tea. It's not obnoxious, but it's pungent and not everyone likes it. And honey blended with it is a useful way of palliating the taste, as well as honey, of course, used particularly at night, has some inducing effects on better sleep. So what I'm saying, uh, not only to you, is but to uh, other women out there who are struggling with the, with the menopause or the uh, symptoms subsequent to the menopause, who are reluctant to go down the pathway of HRT because of all the press and the, the potential problems associated with using it, do try simple things first that are inexpensive. Always think of sage first up. The drinking of sage tea across the day is not expensive. It's very safe. And to you, I would say, to this dear lady who's ringing in, my advice is if you're on a good thing, stick to it. Keep taking it, and uh, there'll come a time. There'll come a time when you will know that you don't need to take it. But I think at this stage, uh, when you're getting a benefit, stay with it for a bit longer. And uh, it's a taste you'll learn to love, isn't it, June? I don't think so. But (laughs) I'm using a sage ground leaf. Yes. And it's a grey colour. You mentioned red sage. Yeah, that's the colour of the flower. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, I'm getting the ground ground leaf. You're getting the part of the herb that is the medicinal part, and that is the the leaf. Sometimes it's better for me to refer to the herb by its botanical name. And in the case here, the botanical name of sage is Salvia officinalis. Um, I believe but, you. <laughs> but, but sometimes sometimes it's called up uh, as red sage. Other times it's just called up as sage. But if you're in doubt, always look on the label. And generally speaking, the botanical name Salvia officinalis would be written there as well. Thank you very much, and I'm way past 70, and I'm way past menopause. Well, there you go. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for your call, June, yes. Now, Warren has rung in from mental health, uh, from mental health, from Raymond Terrace. You do have a question about mental health, though. Is that right, Warren? Yes, that is correct. Hello, Warren. Yeah, g'day, mate. How are we today? I'm well indeed. Well, that's good. It's a bit of a long story, um, Doc, what's going on with my father. Um, Dad, I'll quickly give you a rough summary. Uh, Dad was in a nursing home, went into um, the ED emergency department. With that, uh, they put Dad down into the mental health. He had a um, blocked colon where he wasn't able to go to the toilet. That affected his mind. While he was in the care of mental health, Dad um, suffered a aspirated ammonia where the food went down the wrong way and went on his lungs. So they classed that as having a uh, delirium with the, the uh, infection. Uh, with having that delirium, I know they can last up to 12 months with the elderly. They put that on a drug called paliperidone. Mm-hmm. Now, the researchers I've done in the side effects, um, my father's showing all these side effects, and he's a diabetic, and he's, he's elderly, of course, coming 74. And uh, the research I've done, doctor, is that um, with the elderly and people on... Uh, Diabetes, have diabetes and bowel problems, uh, risk of falling, and etc. But he's showing all these um, excess um, urination, um, tongue moments, confusion, um, falling over, upset uh, tummy. I just want to know a bit more about that uh, par- paradigm. Well, look, what I would say here is this: if Dad has been placed on this medication, he's obviously been placed on it because the medical opinion is 
that that medication is appropriate to his condition. Now, with all medications, there is the, there is the potential of, of a side effect or a reaction, and even the best of medications can have a side effect or a reaction, and interestingly, even the best of herbs in some people can cause what we refer to as an idiopathic reaction. My advice to you, and I say this quite seriously, is you've ob you're obviously concerned about Dad's situation, and I say good on you, but what I would suggest you do is go a little bit further and insist on a meeting with his medical managers, talk about your concern about your Dad's condition. I'm sure if you were to do that, you will find that the situation will be taken very seriously and the people looking at the medication will either attenuate its dose or recommend another medication. Now, I know what I'm talking about here because our family um, has a situation not dissimilar to your father's, um, and we've battled with it for very many years, and I can only say that dialogue with um, medical managers, people in care, uh, is the best way of dealing with this, and usually there's a good outcome. I think that's the, the best response that I can give to you, mate. Marlene has rung that number from Cardiff. Now, Marlene, your daughter's got a bit of a problem with her foot. Yes, that's right. Hello, Marlene. Um, Hello. Uh, yes, I know, I know the title of it, but I don't know much about it. Um, and she has had it operated on, and apparently it will grow back. And when uh, she walks too much on it, it swells up. And what it's called is pigmentated V-I-L-L-O-N-O-D-U-L-A-R-S-Y-N-O-V-I-T-I-S. So, you, do you know anything about that? I think you know, think you know more about it than what I do. Oh. <laughs> but I think I think um, what what we're looking at more here is is the uh, the the condition of the the swelling that asserts yes. itself. Now, is the swelling always there, or is it is is it only associated with uh, with, with when she's? Uh, Walking or, or doing things? Um, yeah, main, mainly doing physical things. She um, she has to do yoga and yes. sort of keep her weight down. Yes, and, yes. And, um, yeah, but, but she can't go for long walks, okay. you know, anymore. So okay. she, that's why she chooses yoga. So is it only, is it only her foot that swells? Yes. It, do, yes. it, doesn't, it doesn't come up into the leg or anything like that? No, okay. no, just the foot okay. and, the an and the ankle no. has been operated on. Okay, now obviously you've discussed this with your GP or, and the surgeon. Uh, no, because she lives in Sydney, so oh, I don't okay. get to see okay. those well, um, people. Okay, well, I'm presuming uh, she is in the care of a GP and or a, a specialist. Yes, yes. Look, one of, the, one of the things that's sometimes very, very useful in, in helping fluid build-up, yes. partic particularly a byproduct of surgical procedures, yes. and again I come back to substances known as bioflavonoids. Now, All right. one of those bioflavonoids is called rutin, R-U-T-I-N, now, it's very well known. In fact, there are pharmaceutical products based on rutin, yes. and there are health food store products based on rutin. It's a bioflavonoid. It's very safe, but what it tends to do is improve both uh, all, all aspects of circulation, put it that way, without yes. going into it too technically. Yes. It's likely that there has been some interference in circulation, whether, vas whether vascular or whether lymphatic, mm -hmm. and bioflavonoids are particularly useful for that sort of condition. For, oh, okay. Fortunately, they're available without script. Yep. Um, they're very safe in as much as they're plant-based substances. Mm -hmm. And 
they're classically used in things even like lymphedema. And you, okay. pro you probably know what that is, where people have very, very swollen uh, legs or uh, lymphedema also occurs as a result of surgical procedures, as in, say, uh, breast cancer, where the lymph glands are removed from the axilla. Sometimes yes. a lady will experience swelling mm -hmm. of the arm as a byproduct. Yes. It could be that we're looking at something along similar lines here, and in as much that bioflavonoids are very frequently recommended by uh, lymphedema societies even, uh, I would recommend that your daughter in Sydney uh, go to a good pharmacy or health food store and look for bioflavonoids, particularly one called rutin, and, mm -hmm. and take it. It is unlikely to cure it, but it may, no, well, it 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 may well assist yeah. in, oh, okay. in reducing it. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. And thanks for your call, Marlene. And uh, on Health Naturally on 2NURFM, do remember you can keep up with um, all programs that uh, Dennis Stewart's uh, had on this station by going to our website, 2NURFM.com, and downloading the podcast. Have a listen to the podcast. And there's lots of information on Dennis Stewart's webpage on 2NURFM.com. But while we're... Well, we have a moment, and we still do have um, time for another call or two if you'd like to get your call through, 4926216. Uh, Dennis, what is the special ingredient uh, in red wine? Okay, and I think we need to emphasise here that, um, as far as I'm aware, all the trials that have been done on wine, uh, testing its uh, purported benefits and cardiovascular disease and, and, and cancer prophylaxis, have been done with what's called red wine. And there's a very good reason for that. Uh, whilst white wine is a delightful drink and in, uh, in, in summertime the Hunter Semions are probably the best that you can get in the vineyard, but uh, red wine uh, is, uh, uh, is based more on, the, on the, uh, the outside, the skin, and the, the seed. And they are the components that c contain a substance called resveratrol. Resveratrol. Now, this is a remarkable substance that all around the world uh, is being looked at as a potential agent to be incorporated into what are called anti-aging remedies, pharmaceuticals and other things that are being put forward as potential agents to extend uh, the lifespan of individuals because the science is pointing in the direction that resveratrol, best found in dark red wine, has a significant and demonstrable effect in lessening factors associated with, uh, with cancer genesis and has a significant effect also in inhibiting some of the cardiovascular conditions such as atherosclerosis, uh, which we experience in the West. And I gave an example earlier, uh, Jane, or a, a, a reference to a clinical trial that had demonstrated that um, where red wine was taken sensibly a couple of glasses a day, a 210,000 people uh, trial demonstrated that they had a 30% fewer risk of cardiovascular disease. And interestingly, this resveratrol has also been looked at in the context of red wine in a Danish study that showed that moderate wine consumption, that is red wine consumption, that is incorporating resveratrol, induced a 40% decrease in the risk of death related to cardiovascular disease and a 22% decrease in cancer mortality risk. Now, those studies 
are not to be sneered at. They are studies that are called up in the reference that I made earlier, foods that fight cancer. Resveratrol is considered to be the agent in red wine, unique to red wine, which has these characteristics. And we have Charlene, who's rung in on 49216216 from Melbourne, a little further south. And uh, Charlene, you've got a problem with circulation in your feet and hands. Is that right? Um, yes, I just get very cold feet and hands, pretty okay. much it. Uh, Charlene, do you have Raynaud's syndrome? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, you've had the condition looked at, have you? Um. No, I've just always had cold okay. hands and feet. The, the only reason I ask that, Charlene, is that there's a condition called Raynaud syndrome, which is characterised by just a chronic peripheral problem as far as circulation is concerned. Fingers and toes, particularly fingers, will frequently go blue, even in summer weather. Um, you, if this is a problem that you haven't had looked at, it is worthwhile discussing it with your GP to get at least... Uh, an understanding of what's going on. Assuming that it's not, assuming that it's not Raynaud's, but even if it were Raynaud's, I'd make the recommendation nevertheless. There are, there are two herbs in particular which are of significant benefit in dealing with peripheral circulatory problems in people such as yourself. And one of them is okay. the American herb called prickly ash. Right, prickly ash. Right. Now, you're in Melbourne, and I know there are some very, very good herbalists in Melbourne, some very good herbalists, and uh, um, there are so many of them that I couldn't uh, rattle them off the top of my head. Most of them uh, would be using herbs such as prickly ash. The second herb that is a more modern herb that works very quietly and needs to be taken with, with uh, prickly ash over an extended period of time is the herb known as ginkgo biloba. Okay, now how those, would you take these two okay. herbs? Those two herbs are taken as oral medication, prickly ash either in a capsule form or a liquid extract form. And with ginkgo, it usually comes in a, in a tableted form. And the ginkgo in particular is readily available from good pharmacies and health food stores. Prickly ash might have to be sourced from a professional herbalist. Look in your telephone directory down in Melbourne and you'll find numerous medical herbalists probably some in your locality, that would have a dispensary that would stock prickly ash. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your call, Charlene. I hope the weather's good in Melbourne. <laughs> the last isn't. person I spoke to <laughs> just a day it or so probably ago isn't. was quite cold. I have fond recollections of Melbourne. I remember doing a postgraduate seminar there and uh, spending lunch in the Great Hall of Ormond College with a roaring log fire was magnificent. I, lo I love Melbourne. I love it. It's great. And perhaps just time for one quick call more. Um, Sue has rung in from Charlestown. Now, Sue, it's regularity you're after. Is that right? Yes, it is. A couple of weeks ago, or maybe mm -hmm. a month or so ago, a lady rang in and she had a, a mixture of psyllium, slip yes. realm. Then she had two other things that I can't remember, and I, I don't know the quantities. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure if you were to ring or con contact our switchboard, um, right. They would have this written down because there has been a lot of in, interest in it. I suspect the other two substances were linseed right. and rice bran. Oh, okay. I'm pretty I think it was the rice bran, yeah, yes. I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll find that's the uh, the formula. And I'm pretty sure it'll be close to equal parts. So, uh, oh, okay. Slippery elm, psyllium, 
uh, rice bran and linseed. By the way, an excellent, an excellent combination that that lady developed, which is guaranteed to regulate anyone that takes it. <laughs> Thank you for your call, Sue. And that brings us to the end of Health Naturally today. Mm. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. And you can catch this program on podcast, 2NURFM.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>